Aridram Jwalati Jyoti Rahamasmi Jyoti Rjwalati Brahmahamasmi Yohamasmi Brahmahamasmi Ahamasmi Brahmahamasmi Ahamevahamam Juhomi Swaha Melting into the light, I am the light that shines. The light shines, the light which is Brahman. That which I am is nothing but Brahman. I exist and I exist as Brahman. I myself offer myself into the infinite light which is myself. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Om Peace, Peace, Peace be unto us all. This morning the topic is, oh I forgot, good morning. And <laughs> this morning the topic is sacrifice, vicarious karma and resurrection. And obviously it's an Easter theme, uh, this being the month in which Easter fell this year. Uh, life in um, the modern world, including America, is so fast-paced now that uh, Easter seems so last week at uh, present. Uh, there was a time when uh, a celebration like Easter or an event like Easter, the people could savor it for a long time, but now it's long, long gone. Uh, last uh, Sunday seems like forever. In fact, I had to think long and hard to be sure that it was last Sunday and not uh, several weeks ago. So uh, it, it is an Easter theme. Uh, however, it, the, the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus are, uh, I'll use mainly as illustrations of universal points. It's um, a talk that will stand on itself, uh, but I will mention the, the crucifixion at some, some length the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as illustrations of larger uh, universal truths. And much of the talk, I'll deal with uh, the first idea, that is sacrifice. What is sacrifice? And first I want to begin by saying that sacrifice is something that uh, we all recognize the nobility of. When we see examples of sacrifice, we instinctively recognize that we've seen something noble, something beautiful, uh, something to be uh, admired. There are stories uh, that in the Western world, uh, uh, those of us who grew up in the West heard from uh, childhood about, uh, for instance, uh, as one example, Christmas stories. I remember stories of uh, uh, poor people who uh, s saved up to get something uh, for uh, Christmas and they were on their way to the church through snow and ice in a terrible winter to get to the church for the uh, Christmas Eve service, uh, something they had looked forward to, something they had saved up for. And along the way, they m meet someone who is poor and suffering, and then they give the gift they had for the church. They, they give it to the poor and um, uh, don't never make it to the church. And uh, as a child, um, uh, I saw immediately the beauty of the story and at the same time I was struck with fear because the, it was always told at Christmas time when I was looking forward to a bicycle or some other toy <laughs> and I thought well the moral of the story they're telling me is that if you meet somebody poorer than you you're, uh, you, you give them your Christmas presents and you don't enjoy them <laughs> and uh, I could recognize the nobility of it but I sure didn't want to do it and <laughs> so, 
So um, again, we, uh, we recognize the beauty of sacrifice. For instance, the beauty of Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross, that uh, anyone who has any sensitivity at all, not even religious sensitivity, uh, can recognize the, the beauty of that, of someone giving their life uh, for, for others. And we see stories of uh, sacrifice in the uh, press at times, stories which uh, uh, we recognize immediately as something extraordinary and something that's beautiful and noble. For instance, there's, uh, I can't remember the exact uh, circumstances, but some of you certainly will remember it because it was a very big event in the news a few years ago and something that got a lot and extended, ex extensive and extended coverage in the news. And that was when a plane crashed in, I believe it was the Chesa Chesapeake Bay, uh, during wintertime, uh, when it was very cold, and uh, there was a uh, man, among others, who were the survivors uh, from the crash in the freezing water, who every time the helicopter came and dropped a rope uh, to, uh, for someone to, uh, to uh, be rescued, then he would get the rope and take it to somebody else that was in the freezing water, and they would be rescued. And finally, he was no longer able to sustain himself in the frigid water, and he drowned. He died. And uh, so it was uh, remarked on at great length uh, how this man had again and again given the rope to other people. It came to him, but instead of doing the instinctive thing of saying, uh, I've got the rope, it'll come back for others, but now it's my turn, it's in my hand, uh, climbing up and saving himself. No, he swam to other people and gave them the rope until, again, finally he died. So when we see something like that, we recognize, again, as I said, instinctively, the nobility, the beauty uh, of, uh, of such an act. But at the same time, there's a disconnect in our own minds and hearts because though we recognize the uh, beauty uh, of such an action, when it comes to sacrifice being asked of us, like me as a little kid worried that uh, this story meant that somebody else was going to get my bicycle, uh, we have a hesitation when sacrifice is asked of us. So we uh, we uh, react differently. To us, it's somehow uh, frightening. Uh, and so you get uh, uh, incidents that were uh, used in uh, movies about uh, the military for years until it was so much used that you can't use it anymore. It's been, it was overused a year, many years ago. Of the new recruits in the military who are uh, asked, uh, the, uh, the drill sergeant comes and says, uh, now that you've finished basic training, uh, one of you needs to, we need one of you to volunteer for a very dangerous mission. Uh, you may very well lose your life. It's extremely dangerous. And so we want... Uh, someone to uh, step forward and volunteer. And everybody steps backward except for one uh, fool who's left standing, and then the sergeant says, oh, thank you for volunteering. Come this way, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, use you for the mission. And so that's often our idea of sacrifice, that uh, if we're too slow to back out or to hide or to run away, we're going to be the one that is sacrificed. And uh, so, uh, again, we recognize the nobility of sacrifice, uh, and yet there's a feeling about sacrifice in our own hearts that uh, it's something that's better to uh, escape. Why should it be intimidating when sacrifice becomes personal? Uh, that's one of the questions I want to answer uh, today. So let me, in approach to that, let me talk about images of sacrifice that we have, uh, the mental pictures of sacrifice. One of the things in ordinary life and in spiritual life that's very important for us to do is occasionally to examine why we have the ideas and the feelings and the reactions that we have. Uh, and so to understand our feelings about sacrifice, our relationship to the idea of sacrifice, it's helpful to look at the seeds of those reactions, the seeds that we have that have been planted in the mind and heart. 
In the Western world, we have many, many examples of extraordinary uh, sacrifice, people who have sacrificed themselves for others, uh, people who have done extraordinary actions for the welfare of others. Um, and one of the things that we see that oftentimes our image of sacrifice in the West, and there's nothing wrong with this, uh, uh, our image of sacrifice in the West is often uh, the heroic image of someone giving their life for another, someone standing in front of a cannon, someone like uh, Father Maximilian Kolbe, uh, who, uh, was a, who was uh, canonized by the Roman Catholic Church a few years ago, uh, a priest who uh, was in a concentration camp during World War II and who, when he saw a man being pulled out of line to be uh, uh, killed by the Germans and the man broke down crying and said, I have a wife, I have children, and then Maximilian Kolbus stepped forward and said, I offer myself. And everybody was stunned because that would have gotten immediate uh, 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 shot through the head uh, in any other circumstance. But something about the grandeur of his action and the nobility and the perfect calmness with which he said it. Uh, the, the, so the guards didn't shoot him, and he was spared. And so this man uh, lived to escape, to, lived to the end of the war, got out of the camp, and Maximilian Kolbe was, uh, was killed later after some days. And so, uh, uh, again, our images of sacrifice in the West are often heroic, and they're often physical acts of courage. Not all, but often physical acts of courage. And another image we have of sacrifice is the image of the moral struggle, that is, of giving up something that I want for the sake of somebody else, recognizing that somebody else's need is greater than mine. And so let me give up. It's something that I want, something that I value, but let me give it to someone else who needs it uh, more than I, I do. And, of course, that's a beautiful uh, image of sacrifice as well, the physical and the heroic sacrifice, the, uh, the sacrifice of moral struggle, where we give up our own happiness for the sake of... historically, but sometimes the image has, uh, the, or the emphasis has been on the pain and suffering of Christ in the uh, crucifixion. Uh, even that has value. It has gone uh, to excess in, uh, uh, in history at times, uh, great excess, but, uh, but even that has value. The idea that if Christ could sacrifice himself on the cross, then I, if I'm a devotee of Christ, Christ, then I can bear the little pains I have in my life. If he could give himself uh, for others willingly and lovingly, then let me bear the small crosses that I have to bear in my life. And it's transformed people's view, those who hold this as a sacred image, it's transformed their view of suffering, with the meaning of suffering, the value of suffering. Why is it that uh, so many Christians have gone into places like slums uh, and into uh, uh, dense uh, uh, forests in different countries. Yes, sometimes it was to save souls, and the emphasis was on saving souls, but not always. And even where that was an emphasis, an unfortunate emphasis, uh, uh, culturally and religiously, uh, it wasn't usually the only impulse. It wasn't that the people go into slums to work for the uplift of poor, that they 
uh, go into uh, difficult uh, situations and live there for years and years or their whole life because they prefer slums to uh, Orange County. No, it's not, uh, not that they prefer living in a slum to living in a mansion. No, it's because they find value in that. This is what Christ did. This is what Christ asked of us. And so I can sacrifice my own uh, uh, pleasure for the sake of my love for Christ and for the love of Christ in other people. And so that image of Christ, uh, uh, for those who are devoted to it, people to do, again, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary acts. And of course, a modern example that's uh, very, very well known, uh, Mother Teresa, who went to the slums of uh, Calcutta. Yes, you can say, and some cynics do say, that, well, you know, she got all kinds of name and fame. Um, and so, again, that, uh, that image of Christ has been trans, uh, transformative. As I said, there, are, there have been uh, uh, exaggerations of that or overemphasis of that. Um, in fact, when I was a kid, I grew up uh, in a town 30 miles away from a university that some of you have heard of that became uh, famous or, I should say, inf infamous during the 2000 election, and that was uh, Bob Jones University, a very fundamentalist uh, university, um, a very fundamentalist, very narrow-minded uh, university. The church I grew up in was liberal and mainstream, but uh, we used to go as uh, Sunday school kids. We would go once a year to the Bob Jones Art Museum at uh, 30 miles away at this neighboring town. And that was the most, why our church did that, I don't know. It was the most depressing experience you can imagine. The whole museum, a large museum, was filled with nothing but paintings of the crucifixion. And they were the goriest, bloodiest, most miserable paintings you've ever seen. I, they, the, you, uh, those of you who saw um, uh, Mel Gibson's uh, The Passion of Christ, well, this is like stills of all of the worst scenes in The Passion of Christ. Um, and uh, so uh, there, that Overemphasis just on the suffering of Christ, that has had a variety of uh, uh, bad effects in time in uh, Western uh, civilization when it was overemphasized. I don't need to uh, belabor that uh, point because most of us, I think, recognize it. But in general, the emphasis has allowed some people, those who are devoted to it in the right way, and allowed them to do extraordinary things because it transformed their idea of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, and of, uh, uh, of suffering. Now, when you look at a dictionary for the meaning of sacrifice, and we all know basically what sacrifice means, but it's uh, helpful sometimes uh, with a particular word that we're interested in uh, to actually look at a uh, dictionary definition and see what the actual technical meaning of it is, uh, because that often has some influence over our thinking about it that we're not even aware of. And so sacrifice, the word obviously comes from the Latin, sacerificium, uh, a sacred deed. And it refers particularly to an offering to a deity and particularly to the sacrifice of a sacrificial uh, victim, like the famous uh, sacrificial lamb, uh, the killing of a victim on an, offering, uh, on an altar as an offering to a, a deity. That's the most basic meaning of uh, sacrifice uh, the, and the most uh, 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 the earliest meaning of sacrifice. It also means the, uh, uh, and this is from the Merriam-Webster uh, online dictionary, it means the destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. Uh, that I, 
sacrificed a lot of money for this uh, uh, beautiful 60-inch uh, television set that I've got. I sacrificed a lot of uh, uh, a lot of money for this new car that I got, and so forth. Uh, so it can mean uh, uh, giving up something in order to get something else. Uh, the destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else, to give an exact quote. It also means giving up uh, uh, something given up or lost, like the sacrifice of parents for their children. Anyone who has had children uh, uh, knows uh, what that means. That, uh, there's so many things that parents uh, give up for their children, uh, for their children's welfare. And one of the paradoxes of life is that uh, no matter how much uh, parents give up for their children, uh, children grow up uh, 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 resentful of uh, the sacrifices the parents made in certain ways. That, uh, uh, if uh, you do the best you can to get to a nice neighborhood in Orange County, then your kids say, well, why did you bring me when they grow up? Why did you bring me, bring me up in this unreal uh, plastic environment? Why couldn't I live somewhere real, like uh, in, in uh, uh, San Pedro or something like that? And if you bring them up in San, San Pedro, they say, well, why, you know, why did you bring me up in, uh, in this area? Why didn't, you, why didn't you bring me up in some nice neighborhood? Where, where you know, we could live with nice people and nice places and nice yards and all of that. So uh, whatever, it did, uh, whatever you do as parents, uh, you tend to make the wrong choices as far as your children are concerned once, uh, once they grow up. But how much sacrifice people do for their children, what an extraordinary amount of sacrifice. One of the most beautiful parts of our sannyasa ceremony, when you become a sannyasi or a swami, is when uh, uh, two days before you take your final vows, you do your own shraddha ceremony, that is, your own funeral ceremony. Because since in the Indian tradition, if you don't have children, there'll be nobody there to do your uh, funeral ceremony, so you do your own. And in that ceremony, you also do that to your parents, your grandparents, and ancestors for seven generations back. And some of the most beautiful parts of that ceremony are when they talk about the sacrifice of your own mother for the sake of bringing you up. Just verse after verse speaks about the extraordinary sacrifices of your mother just in bringing you up. And so then you make an offering for her, uh, for her uh, welfare, for her eternal welfare. And so the, uh, that's another meaning of uh, sacrifice, something given up or lost, like the sacrifice of parents give, uh, made for their children. And another fourth meaning is just loss like a good sold at a sacrifice, meaning good sold at a loss. The uh, vendor can't hope to recoup his uh, money, but at least he hopes to get back whatever he can. So he sells, uh, sells them at a sacrifice, at a loss. So all of these are good definitions, accurate def definitions, but you see in all of these definitions uh, a certain idea comes through, and that is loss. The idea of loss comes through in all of these uh, definitions. And so in the public mind, we have associated with the idea of sacrifice the idea of loss, the idea that I had as a kid that uh, somebody's going to get my uh, bicycle because m their happiness uh, is more important than my own happiness. Um, and so we've associated that with, uh, with, uh, uh, the, uh, with the idea of sacrifice, losing something that I want because somebody else is more important uh, than I am, losing something so that somebody else can be happy. That's our basic, when we go back to what does sacrifice mean to me, and that's the base idea, then it's no wonder that the word sacrifice itself uh, calls to mind the loss and pain and suffering. When is it that we sacrifice willingly? When do we sacrifice something willingly? One time is when we see that the sacrifice leads to something of greater value. 
like I gave the example according to one of these definitions, the example's not in the definition, but it's uh, associated. The destruction or surrender of something to the state. So one time we make a sacrifice is when we recognize that uh, the result of this sacrifice is the attainment of something greater, something that I want, something that can't come without my uh, sacrifice. Uh, another time that we make sacrifice willingly is when love is involved, when love is involved, like the sacrifice parents make for their children. A parent doesn't sacrifice for their children because it's a duty or because it's legislated uh, that they have to do it. Uh, they don't do it in order to... That's why in, uh, 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 in times of uh, war, in times of battle, that one soldier sacrifices himself to save his buddy because he's willing to throw himself on a grenade uh, and knowingly die uh, rather than see his buddies uh, killed. And so when there's uh, love, then also we willingly sacrifice. So if we see something of greater value uh, or if there's love involved, uh, we do it out of love, then we willingly sacrifice. A third time, which is not so noble, those two are noble, uh, but a third time, which is not so noble, is when everybody's watching. <laughs> it's, much, it's much easier to, uh, uh, to make a grand uh, statement of sacrifice when uh, the news cameras are rolling and uh, the reporters are all around us and the world is watching, then anybody can be a hero. The other two are, are uh, genuine roots of willing sacrifice. So how can we get to the place where we willingly sacrifice for a stranger? Like this man I mentioned who sacrificed himself by continually passing the word to others until he could no longer move his hand in do that. Some here no doubt would do it. You just said you don't know until you're in that situation and uh, that man probably never knew that he could do it until the uh, situation called for it. And then he did it, did it uh, as far as we can see uh, completely willingly and consciously. So some of us would do it, but it's one of those questions and I don't expect uh, me or you to answer it for, for me now. I'm not calling for uh, volunteers to raise their hand or oh, I'd be willing to do it. Uh, but uh, it is a good thing for us to ask ourselves. It's one of those questions that um, it's good for us to ponder over.
first joined the order, there was a uh, Swami who was in charge of the center where I joined, who used to speak in the classes, monastic classes, he would speak, uh, and in public classes as well, he'd speak sometimes very glowingly of sacrifice. Uh, he would say that this whole world is a grand sacrifice, and every action of ours is a sacrifice. And I was really puzzled. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, what, when he spoke about it, he spoke of it as if it were some grand and Uh, give me your uh, son uh, so that uh, he can uh, fight with the demons uh, and get them so that they will not strong and stirring uh, Vedic chants, and he's uh, making offerings into this uh, grand and beautiful fire. And then I realized, oh, this is what that Swami meant when he spoke about sacrifice. He wasn't thinking as a little kid back to giving his bicycle away to some other little kid whose happiness was more important than his own. He was thinking of this uh, Vedic fire, this uh, sacrificial fire. idea of sacrifice. Nature of life itself is sacrifice. And by participating in sacrifice, you're participating
wished to be many, and many bodied himself forth into manifold existence. And so he sacrificed his uh, primordial unity into multiplicity. So the very foundation of creation was seen to be sacrifice. How did he perform that sacrifice? He performed a tapas. He performed tapas. Tapas is usually translated as austerity. But again, it has a very different sense um, in the Vedic tradition and Vedantic tradition from our idea of austerity. Our idea of austerity is often, uh, again, is associated with loss, doing without things. Uh, and sometimes it's associated with the idea of mortification of the flesh and so forth. Uh, giving pain to the body and so forth. But the idea of tapas is the concentration and generation of energy. And so tapas is that which generates energy, which generates uh, spiritual energy, which can be directed for higher purposes. And so the tradition is, the mythic tradition, is that God, in order to create out of his unitary being this uh, uh, variegated universe, performed tapas, concentrated the energy of his being, developed, uh, generated spiritual power, and out of that came this explosion of multiplicity. And that's where the universe came, uh, came from. And everything within the universe is still participating in that original act of, uh, of uh, sacrifice. Uh, when we perform our, just as another example, when we, again, referring back to the sannyasa ceremony, when a person becomes a uh, monk, or ordained monk, uh, the uh, uh, ceremony is performed in front of a ritually constructed and a meaningful fire. In the case of our tradition, the fire is Ramakrishna himself. Even here, you've seen the Homa fires. It's very similar to that. In the Homa fire, there's a point where the pujari, the person who's officiating at the Homa fire, names the fire as Sri Ramakrishna. And so in our sannyasa ceremony, too, uh, the fire that's ritually constructed... Uh, Sri Ramakrishna, and then we offer everything into the fire of Sri Ramakrishna. Our bodies, our minds, our ambitions, our desires, our personal history, uh, everything that everything is offered into the uh, fire. And so the idea of the uh, uh, sannyasa ceremony also is one not of uh, self-abasement or, or the idea of loss or whatever. The idea is offering yourself into the fire of God. And that there's, uh, again, the idea of um, No, not that. Yes, uh, let me offer everything into the fire.
sacrificed into summer. Summer is sacrificed into the fall. Fall is sacrificed into winter, and so forth. Everything is seen in this uh, uh, view as sacrificial by, uh, by nature. One thing giving itself into another. Uh, in and a similar idea. There's so many extraordinary uh, ideas in Christianity, some of which were developed, some of which were never uh, developed for uh, much for a variety of reasons. But this idea of sacrifice, of course, is at the heart of Christianity, and not just uh, the idea of Christ's uh, sacrifice on the, in the crucifixion. The whole idea of the Trinity, the Trinity for non-Christians, non-Trinitarian Christians, is a strange idea, but it shouldn't be strange. It's a very beautiful idea. No, I certainly wouldn't say in a... himself into the Son, and the Son pours himself back into the Father, and the pouring itself is the Holy Spirit, the pouring of love. It's a continual movement of love from the Father to the Son and the Son back to the Father. And so that's uh, seen as the primordial image uh, of uh, reality itself, is this continual sacrifice of love, of one person pouring himself into the other person uh, in, uh, in love and in the experience of love. And uh, uh, so th uh, the, uh, the, the idea is that this universe is created by God in the image of God, not just we as individuals, but the universe itself is the image of God. And so this pouring of the Father into the Son and the Son back into the Father is the nature of life itself, where one thing pours itself into another thing, where no life can live without the sacrifice of other life. You may be a vegetarian, but you still sacrifice carrots to yourself and cabbages and all kinds of other things. Uh, you can't live without sacrifice. You can't eat dirt. You can eat it, but you can't live <laughs> eating dirt. Uh, you, uh, you live by, uh, uh, by living on other life. Uh, for the sake of all beings who are in the image of God, the non-dual idea of uh, Easter. And so a rabbi friend who certainly understood what I was talking about, but he likes to, uh, he likes to uh, stir up a discussion, and so he wrote, intentionally uh, towards it and into it, and so he did sacrifice himself. He knew what was happening, and he offered himself uh, in sacrifice, so he was the one who made the sacrifice, and he was the victim of the sacrifice, and all for the sake of, uh, all for God who he in turn is, and so you see this uh, sacrifice, uh, the sacrificer giving himself in sacrifice to himself, as the verse uh, that I said at the beginning of the talk, Ardram Jwalati Jyoti Rahamasmi, that ends with the line that I myself offer myself into the infinite light, which is myself. And so that's what Christ did. 
the idea of the Christian Mass, the Eucharist, the beautiful Eucharistic service. Ramakrishna himself had a vision of the Eucharist and said, yes, this too is a beautiful way in which uh, God can be worshipped. In the Eucharist, the priest stands in the place of Christ. Whatever you think of church or priests and everything, that doesn't matter. It's, there's an ideal that uh, the, Christ stands in the, or the priest stands in the place of Christ and breaks the bread and offers the wine. So Christ is offering himself uh, on the altar in the church. And then what does he do with it? Then he gives it to all of the uh, faithful, all of those who are there, uh, who are in, uh, commun in community are the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. So Christ is standing, breaking his own body and feeding it to his own body. Uh, so this non-dual idea behind uh, the uh, Eucharistic sacrifice. So coming towards a conclusion, we need to change our view of sacrifice need to change our view of sacrifice to an image of strength to an image of strength so the sacrifice is not just heroic and physical nor is it just a moral struggle that well should I give it up uh, uh, is their happiness more important than mine and so forth no those kinds of sacrifice will come much easier if we have a natural uh, view of sacrifice itself if we see that sacrifice is natural that's part of natural life that's the way that life is patterned that's the way everything here in our life is, is patterned uh, that it's not tied to a particular mythology uh, uh, not tied to a particular religious view it's just the way that uh, life is that existence is and if we see that sacrifice should be and can be rooted in love as I said when we sacrifice most it's because of love. Sometimes we sacrifice great things in order to get something better. But there, there's, that's good. That's good, and that's noble, and that uh, we all have to do. All of us do that. The swamis, the lay people, everybody does that, and we have to do it. But it's even better... Now I can do it. No, it's something that all of us work towards. We spend a lifetime working towards that. But if we know what we're working even our failures in that effort have great meaning and have great beauty. There's nothing wrong with failure in life. There's nothing wrong with mistakes in life. Bless your uh, mistakes. Uh, he was the first teacher who said, not be afraid to go to hell. He said, go down into hell if you need to in order to get strength. But come back with strength. It doesn't matter. Go down into hell. 
if you need to. He said, it doesn't matter if you think wrong thoughts. Think something. It's better to think something. Don't, don't worry about, well, I'm afraid to think because I might think something wrong. No, go ahead and think. Give exercise to the mind. And so then when we, get to, uh, when we begin to develop a sense of inner strength, an inner spiritual strength, we begin to feel that my inner depths are invulnerable. There's nothing which can touch there. Yes, my mind and body may be vulnerable, but uh, me, I'm different from the mind and body. That is untouchable. And when we begin to get that, then we begin to feel connected to everything. And then sacrifice becomes uh, a natural uh, thing. So um, uh, uh, coming uh, to Christ's uh, sacrifice, let me say in conclusion a few words about that, about that and the resurrection. That... Um, it's unfortunate in the history of Christianity uh, that many people, that there was so many great, great saints and so many wonderful, extraordinary things have come out of Christianity. Many people, unfortunately, ruin all of that by beating people over the head with the name of Christ, saying that uh, I'll do all of this for you as long as you believe in Christ, and saying that if you don't believe in Christ, you're going to go to hell and so forth. Well, no, that ruins, uh, and that's an insult to the greatness of Jesus himself. That's an insult and something which spoils the sacrifice itself of so many people, what so many people have done so beautifully and so willingly. Um, so do I uh, believe in the theological basis of Christ's sacrifice? That is, that he died to wipe out the sin of Adam. Well, no, of course I don't. That, I, I, I don't think anyone who's deeply uh, studied and, uh, and committed to a Vedantic uh, uh, way of looking at things uh, can believe that because it's uh, quite uh, contrary to um, uh, uh, the truth as I understand it and as I have experienced it. I don't believe that Christ died in order to wipe away the sin of Adam. I don't believe in the sin of, sin of Adam to begin with. Uh, yes, we all suffer, suffer from ignorance, uh, uh, but uh, that's a, a different interpretation of things from the idea of uh, 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 original sin. But do I believe in vicarious sacrifice? Well, yes, that I certainly believe in. Uh, that I certainly believe in. In Buddhism, they have the idea of karma, just as we do in uh, Hinduism and Vedanta. Uh, in Buddhism, in the Theravada tradition, they believe uh, basically that karma is individual, that I have my own karma, all of my actions go to build up my own karma, and I have to work out my own karma. In the Mahayana tradition of Buddhism, the idea is cl uh, closer to the Vedantic idea where they have the idea that uh, uh, karmas affect each other, uh, that I can help you work out your karma, you can help me work out my karma, I can uh, give the benefits of my good karma to you, uh, and by the wrong association I can give uh, the, uh, the uh, curses of my bad karma, I can share that uh, with you as well. Uh, and so karma is not like uh, billiard balls that, uh, that, that never mixes together. No, we're, we're all impinging on each other, and our karma does uh, affect the karma of others. You see in the lives of uh, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, and Holy Mother that they took on the karma of those uh, that uh, were their uh, disciples. They took on their karma. Uh, Ramakrishna said in places, uh, he said that, uh, uh, don't worry about your misdeeds, I will swallow them. And as a result, he got cancer of the throat. He himself believed, you may 
reject it, you may say, well, I don't believe that, and that you're welcome to do. But Ramakrishna himself believed and said that uh, he suffered from cancer of the throat because he had taken on the uh, karma of others. And it's interesting that uh, not long before he began to get the first signs of cancer of the throat, he actually said, I will swallow your karma. That is, I will take it on, take it from you. And uh, so that, it's believed, is what he did. Sri uh, Rama is said in beautiful hymns to be Patita Pavana, the savior of the uh, fallen. Uh, and how does he do that? He does that by taking, uh, taking the bad karma, taking the so-called sins of, uh, of others. So yes, there is vicarious karma. There's a beautiful story of St. Seraphim of Sarov, a great Russian Orthodox uh, monk of the uh, 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, he lived uh, for many years. He lived out in a dense forest many, many miles from his uh, monastery in a hermitage. And uh, there, uh, once there were some highwaymen, some robbers, who found his hermitage, and they had the folk belief that hermits live in the forest to protect pots of gold. And so they thought that he must have a pot of gold hidden away somewhere too. And so they ransacked his hermitage, couldn't find the pot of gold, and then they found him out praying in a field. And so they uh, uh, demanded uh, with the threats of violence that he uh, turn over the, uh, his pot of gold. And he said, I have nothing. You can take whatever I have, but I have no pot of gold. I'm a poor a hermit, but you're welcome to take whatever you want. They didn't believe him, and so they raised an axe to hit him over the uh, uh, head or the neck or back with the back side of the axe, not the blade. And at first, uh, St. Seraphim raised up his arms to protect himself and to fight back. And then he thought of the Virgin Mary, and then he put his hands down in prayer to the Virgin Mary, and they struck him and broke his back. And uh, so for the rest of his life, he was hobbled over and in great pain. But uh, what happened after that is the point of the story for this uh, morning. That is, after that, he was seen wearing uh, iron chains. And that's a particular Christian form of discipline, a kind of a very physical type of austerity, not one that we recommend. But the intent was beautiful. Uh, and that is, he was asked of the Holy Father, why is it that you are wearing these heavy chains, carrying them around? He said, I'm wearing them in penance uh, for what those did who broke my back so that they can be free. So you see the wonderful spirit uh, of St. Seraphim, that he didn't think that uh, uh, those so-and-sos, they broke my back and now I'm suffering or I hope that they get caught or whatever. Yes, that's a natural reaction. We don't have to feel bad if we call the police on somebody who does us wrong. No, that's a natural uh, reaction. But there'll come a point where we can be supernatural. That is, when we can become, we can go beyond that which is a natural reaction to a reaction of pure love without any uh, thought of uh, uh, let, me, uh, let, let me pay those people back. No, he wore these uh, chains in order to lighten the burden of their own karma, or in Christian terms, their own sin. And that's an extraordinary, extraordinary idea. So um, uh, did Christ die for the sins of all? Again, I said... I don't believe in the, the whole idea of the original sin coming from Adam and Eve and their original disobedience. And uh, the whole tradition of that is very problematic. It's led to many I, cultural ideas which have been problematic and which have caused cultural uh, 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 harm, I would say. But is it true that he died for the sins of all so that those who, believing in him, uh, shall be forgiven their sins? Well, in a sense, yes, even that is true. Yes, he, his sacrifice was vicarious. It was for the welfare of others. Uh, not in the theological, technical sense of wiping away Adam's sin, but he did do it as an act of vicarious uh, suffering for the welfare of others. 
And did he do it for wiping away the sins of others so that those who believe in him shall be forgiven? Well, in a broad sense, not in a technically theological sense, not in a church sense, but in a broad sense, yes, even that is true. There was a time when the canonical books were uh, uh, collected and said these are the official scripture and any ideas outside of these are not acceptable. But in early Christianity, there were many different views of the crucifixion there were different, and the resurrection. There were views where the resurrection was purely symbolic, where it was not a physical event. And uh, let me just uh, say that for, if anyone has even a moment of the experience of being free from the body, then you know that the resurrection of the body is something that no one would ever want. It's not something that you would ever want. If you have one moment of experience of being free from the body, it's a, such a feeling of, uh, of expansion and of freedom that you would never want the resurrection of the body. You can't imagine somebody carrying the body around for all eternity. Um, uh, just look at near-death experiences. Some of you may have had them. They're not that uncommon. Uh, but people who go far enough with a near-death experience so that they feel themselves being pulled back into the body, they think, I don't want to go back into that. Why do I want to go back into that? I'm much freer uh, without it. We have no idea how much we're carrying the weight of the world on these physical shoulders. If we're, for just a moment, free from that sense, we'll experience a freedom we've never even imagined was uh, possible, even after reading all kinds of spiritual books. Uh, and so, no, I don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Christ's resurrection was a spiritual resurrection. And uh, uh, the... Uh, the meaning of Christ's sacrifice, the meaning of his resurrection, uh, was for our own illumination and from the Vedantic standpoint was to illumine the truths with the true, which are true even of us, even of us right now. Madhu-nakta-muto-sasi-madhu-mat-parthi-vagum-rajah-madhu-dyavrastu-nafpita-madhu-mannovanaspatir-madhu-magum-astu-surya-madhu-virgavo-bhavantunah-madhu-madhu